0: Welcome, everybody, to a new episode of The Essential Craftsman Podcast. I'm Nate. We're lucky to have my dad here, The Essential Craftsman. How are you? So lucky. (laughs) We uh, just are about to release our video from our spec house on pickup, and so we are going to match that up with this discussion, which will be a lot of the details, um, maybe more personal about the pickup you did Mm -hmm. that didn't make the cut of that video, and... I have a feeling this conversation will center a little more around career than even pickup because Good. the pickup is from what I understand it's it's just one way to approach getting paid. Uh, I'm sorry, not pickup maybe, but well piecework as we'll talk about. It's mm-hmm. it's more a way to approach getting paid than it is the way to approach doing work itself. Well, in any case, why don't you give us the the background you you mentioned in our video you spent 6 months doing Pickup and nothing but pickup. So maybe give us the little lead up to how that came to be and what that was like, and maybe we'll start there. Okay.
1: And uh, so it's a it all kind of runs together in my memory. My time in Las Vegas working as a piecework framer, which is a peculiar. It's a it at least was, and I think probably still is this niche where you're not quite a private contractor and you're not quite an employee you've got an agreement with an employer who has the, the necessary insurances and, you know, he has you down as an employee, but your compensation depends on how much you produce. And it's typically on a square foot price, depending on what portion of the framing you're doing. But in this case, it was for Dell web. Now, Dell web is a big nationwide, perhaps worldwide. I don't even know developer, and they started a track, a Sun City track. Now there are Sun Cities in Phoenix and Florida and Las Vegas and probably all over the place and they all share the same name. And when And they're like a really high quality and very well planned
0: out and very predictable type of development. I know yeah. people who will I've heard of people who will only buy in like a Dell Web community for whatever reasons, I don't even know. I just know there's a there's a pretty loyal fan base of of del Webb yeah. housing tracks
1: Th- they have it down they cover their bases they they stay on they they are they are on all of the people they have agreements with like paint right i mean they're on them and i got to look at that when i was doing this pickup but as i'm thinking about this it's interesting because it, when we built that house you remember when we built that mm-hmm. first house up on that side of las vegas that was about the time that the sun city started. It had been talked about for years, and they broke ground about the time we started that house, oh, two miles from the edge of Sun City. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I was working for MS Concrete. No, no, no. No, it was later I worked for MS Concrete. So what I'm getting to is I actually worked making the concrete sign. They had a fancy um, colored concrete sign. It was a very elaborate geometric shape that had Sun City chiseled into the front of the tilt panels we made mm. and gold leafed actually, mm. and so I I started doing pickup work in there, and then I went and worked concrete for a couple of years, and ended up back working a completely different kind of work in the same tract. But had to look at that dang sign every day. You had to drive by <laughs> that every darn day, but that's not that important. But your your observation about piecework and another way to be compensated, yes. Because peace workers always make more than minimum wage. So the employer is covered with that bureaucratic regulation, right? They can always say, well, look, you know, they're making, you know, minimum wage is this much per week and they're making this much per week on a peace basis. And so beyond that, at least then you could still just let them work and their compensation depended entirely on how productive they were.
0: So that at the time was, and we can talk about now, but of course it's legitimate and it works, but. I mean, somebody might not make a minimum wage if it's their first day. I wouldn't make minimum wage if I tried to do it. (laughs) So So that's right. Was it a little bit of a way that's like in between, like in the gray zone, you know, where where you're not actually, like you said, you're not an employee, but they are paying and pulling payroll on your paycheck and everything, right?
1: Yeah, and all I can speak to is how it was in the 90s, right? So that is ancient history. Who knows how it is now? But there was a, it was pretty pretty loosely regulated, pretty loosely supervised. You scheduled your own day. If you got there late, you got less work done at the end of the day. And the risk to that was there were other piecework carpenters prowling around Las Vegas looking for agreements. They would be happy to jump in. For instance, when I was stacking, if there were houses framed, plumbed, lined, with the trusses loaded, and you had the stacking agreement in the tract, and the, the foreman that was running the job was nervous about how productive you were, and another truck with a couple of stackers came in there and said, hey, you got stack?" He would say yes, and they would jump on the house just ahead of you, and then the next day you wouldn't have work to do. So if you got to work late, you were mm. apt to not tie up the work you needed, mm. and so there was just a relentless motivation to tie up all the work you could. How did that actually work? Like When you got that job, what
0: did you kind of just cruise through the neighborhood till you found, you knew it was close, and you found the foreman? Or does, is it kind of like word of mouth, like you kind of, hey, Sun, Sun City's ready for, uh, for pickup. There's going to be a bunch of pickup out there. Call this
1: guy. Is it kind of like that? Or how, how do those things actually come Bo- together? Both ways. Um, my experience when I was stacking was John Urban and I were partners. And when a tract we were in was stacked out and we could see that we were coming to the end of the stacking in a tract, we would just start driving you would look for walls going up out in the desert. You would drive in, see where they were at. If the framers had a bunch of walls up, okay, they're ready for trusses. Maybe there were mm. trusses stacked up in one of the cul-de-sacs. Mm. You would find the foreman You say, okay, we're ready to stack. What are you paying? Mm. And you would also find out who the tract was, was being framed by. I worked oh. for Southern Nevada Framers primarily. Um, there were a couple others, uh, Gary Day, I don't remember the others, hmm. but it, it's combination and it's also word of mouth because I went to do the pickup on Sun City because there was a little economic downturn happening and stack and layout and stairs, which is what I was doing, was not much layout. I only did that with John. I was doing stairs and stack. It was getting slow. It was getting hard to find. And somebody said, I don't remember who it was, hey, Dell Webb's still moving fast. They've got a lot of houses sold. They've got a lot of houses building. And so I went up there. They didn't need any stack, but the foreman said, I need pickup. you want to do pickup? I said, sure. Oh, wow. Had you ever done any pickup before that? Not on a piece price basis. I had done all of those tasks. Oh, oh, just finishing somebody's house to completion. Sure. So you had done the process. I had done the process, and so I knew how to... Yeah. I knew the processes, so I thought, sure, let's do that. So he walked through it with me. He showed me, you line the studs like this. You look for fire blocks. You look for blocking at the HVAC registers. You um i don't remember the list right now yeah oh, there were interior elevations and soffits and if they weren't right mm-hmm. you had to fix them and at the end of that i think each house paid 125 bucks or something and there were like a dozen studs and three pieces of plate stock laying in front of the house banded together which was the lumber package you had to work with hmm. to get the you had to the make work, it work with that you had to make it work and it was and we have six a day and here are the other two pickup carpenters One of the guys' name was Frank. Just a nice guy. I think the other guy's name was Mike. I don't quite remember. He wasn't as outgoing. And they had had a third guy, and he left to do something else. And those two guys didn't want to do three a day. They only wanted to do two a day. Mm. And the foreman didn't want to be vulnerable to only having one pickup carpenter, so he was looking for a third guy. And so I stepped in. And so is
0: one carpenter per house. And, yep. and you did three per day? Two. Oh, two. With, with the three guys, each of us did two a day. Yeah. So, you, okay. So the, the, the foreman got six done in the day,
1: and you yep. were each, you had two addresses. I'm doing that one and that one. Yes. And one before lunch and one after exactly. lunch. Exactly. And some days, maybe there were only five. Mm-hmm. You know, it depended on how quickly everything else was happening. Yeah. But think of that six a day in one track. That's a lot of houses. Yeah. And they'd been doing that for years at that point. Wow. But. So if there were only five ready, now it's just a little bit of a race Yeah. because whoever gets out of that first, the first two guys to get out of their house done got two and the third guy only got one. And that was always me. I never got as efficient as those guys because they'd been doing it for, I think, you know, three or four years. Was there more money to be made in pickup as opposed to stacking? Is there any part of
0: carpentry or framing that is the most lucrative or is it all, you know
1: pretty uniformly uh paid when i was doing it my experience was stairs and stack when you if you were just solo if you're working Mm -hmm. by yourself or with one partner you made more money with stairs or stack than roof shading or walls you had to have a crew to do walls Mm -hmm. enough quickly enough to get it done uh layout Mm -hmm. paid well too but john and i didn't stick with that too long because we were better staffers because layout was more technical okay it was light work but it was more technical, and if you if you couldn't get very systematic about layout, pretty soon you're leaving mistakes, and mistakes got really expensive because the framers are going to build to your layout. Yeah, and if you laid it out wrong, and they could demonstrate that the layout was wrong and that they matched your layout, then mm. the temptation was that the fix had to come out of your compensation. You know, it was just mm-hmm. a problem. So and, those and things on paid the, more. On, at the same time,
0: if you were really good at it and you could only have to measure it once, yeah. And not even think twice. Yep. And if you had
1: done that house 50 times and yep. you didn't have to even look at the plans. Well, you, you would make little cheat cards oh. if you would carry around. If you didn't have the dimensions memorized, there was a guy named, I think his name was John Popjoy. And I didn't work with him. That might not be right. But he had a big reputation for being really great. And he was. And he had every move down. I mean, you would every line was snapped right. and. He had all the tricks and the jigs, and he could really lay out so and plate So He would lay out all by himself? He had a helper. Oh, to hold somebody the, to hold the end yeah, of the tape. Yeah, but, but he was the man. He had the numbers, and huh. he would lay it out, snap it. Um, platers would come in and cut the plates, and the plates would be laying there, and then he would come back around and detail the plates, huh. cut the headers, the top cripples, the bottom cripples, and the trimmers, and lay those in front of the openings that he had laid out. Huh. And he would have the stud lengths marked on the plates, and he'd walk away, and then the framing crew would come in and put all that together to his instructions. Huh. But but layout made money. Stack was probably next. Huh. Stairs were next.
0: It, it probably falls pretty close in line with just how complex and how much thinking you had to mm-hmm. do. Yes.
1: Because I'm, I'm guessing nailing off the roof sheeting exactly right did not pay very much. See, when I quit Martin and Harris— um, Commercial construction. I got my nose out of joint and left their union job because I heard there was money in the tracts. I walked onto it the first tract I came to. I said, Give me a job. I've been working, you know, commercial and I want a piece work. Okay, get up there and sheet that roof. And I think that sheeting paid eight cents a square foot or something. Mm. And the trusses were up and blocked and backed. And the forklift would land a unit of uh, roof sheeting up there and you'd sheet it. And I did that for about two weeks and then john urban was doing stairs across the street he'd been watching me he came Mm. over and said hey let's partner Mm. and he i just got so much good education from john
0: it's probably difficult when you're doing piecework to you don't really have co-workers because nobody wants to stand around like chatting about the weekend that's right and you're making the most money when you're by yourself so i got to think guys who are doing piecework a lot are you know, lone wolves, kind of right, and you don't have you don't have much of like a team or even a, a job site feeling, right?
1: So the exception to that is in the framing crews, because oh. that has to be a crew. You've got to have two, three, four, five, six guys to spread out and blast out the walls on two or oh. three houses, and then you whistle, and three or four guys come from over there to raise the walls. Mm. When I was there, that was almost all Latino and boy those guys could do it mm-hmm. they did so they could really crank it out mm-hmm. and so there would be sub agreements inside the crew that the crew leader would have the agreement with the foreman who was authorized to pay a certain amount per square foot or lineal foot and then he would have agreements with his guys on his crew and at mm-hmm. the end of the end of the yeah. week they would fill out their time cards according to the sub agreement and then he would turn it into the employer and he would get whatever was left and i ended up doing the same thing i had 3 guys um, later, for a different outfit, and I had an agreement with the foreman. I would get the whole amount credited to me, and I would then tell him at the end of the week how much went to each of the guys based on how many hours they worked mm. that week, and if there was something left, I got it. And so. you would deal with those guys and manage them mm-hmm. and yeah.
0: and take care of them, and he didn't yep. talk to them. Yep. Yeah. What's that like? You know, when you're the framer interacting with the foreman or the, or the developer in that way. He's got a lot of leverage, especially in Vegas at that time because there was lots of carpenters. At the same time, there was lots of jobs, so you could have gone somewhere else. So, In other words, were those really negotiations or was it sort of like... Everybody knows it's eight cents a square foot. Do you want the job or not? Or or is it, or is it it was it something that you kind of had to think about? Should no. I work for this
1: job or whatever? That's a great question. So everybody knows that's the rate, but you would look at the houses, and if they were choppy, you would say, oh, I'm going to go find cleaner houses. Mm-hmm. And then you would just drive on through. Oh. Or after the foreman showed it to you, say, ah, you know, depending on how much work was in town and how many other contacts you had, mm-hmm. um, you would either take or pass. And some of the tracks paid better. Some of the houses were... More conducive to production. Um, some of the companies were more reliable. Some of the companies' checks always cleared the bank, and some of them had reputations for not always clearing the bank. Mm. Um, it 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 was very much a an a primer course in self employment. Do you remember at the time, like thinking,
0: how am I gonna do? <laughs> I'm sure very few of those people were like, you know, I'm going to be doing this pickup. I love this till the day I die. It, most people probably had some idea I'm going to start my my business. I'm going to da da da. What what was going through your head at the time? You only did it for a handful of years, and so what was your thought process going into it? And then and then
1: your thought process when you were so, done with it. So just to the pickup piece, I think I only did the pickup for six months. I think. Yeah, I think that's probably right because frankly, I got bored. You know, I just got bored and I had been making better money stacking. And so once things Mm -hmm. picked up, I was looking to do something else, Mm -hmm. but it was a nice interlude. I mean, it was not physically demanding. I got to know Frank And he coached me, you know, some tricks on, you know, lining that. Oh, that was the other thing. The foreman's name was Vern. I remember now he would come around and check your work before Uh you moved out of the next work. You'd look out and whistle at him. He'd come over and walk through. He had a straight edge. He would check a little bit. He'd say, oh, you missed a block. You know, oh, that piece of backing's not flat. Mm. He had a great eye. Mm. He was probably a little younger than I am now. He was probably getting 20 bucks for a job he reviewed. Yeah, yeah, probably. (laughs) Probably, yeah. (laughs) Um, when I first showed up and walked in there, he said, "Have you got a power plane?" I said, uh, "What's a power plane?" This is a power plane. He pulled one out and he had them for sale. Mm. And I don't remember now if he was se- if they belonged to the company and he was selling them, or if they he owned them and he was selling That's them. But cool. he sold me a Makita power plane, showed me how to put the knives in, change knives, and then he would re- he would have ni- replacement knives or get them sharpened. I don't remember. Mm. And so it was it was good to learn that that just like there are production tricks in stacking or stairs or walls. There are production tricks and going through and making the house good enough to cover up. Mm. And it turned into a race between me and those other two guys, and they always beat me. But after a couple months, I was pretty much keeping up. And talking about this now remembering, I think it picked up and I left there and I ended up stacking on another little tract. And I think I think that Greg fellow, if that was his name, was there doing maybe still doing pickup in another tract or something, but I was stacking and I kind of had an I, there's a funny hierarchy in piecework framing where the stackers are kind of the bigger dogs mm-hmm. than the pickup guys. And mm-hmm. so I got that little ego stroke. Yeah. As if like, I, up there? Yeah, yeah. Wait, Uh-oh. I know that guy. I used to beat him on the pickup. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> Looking back at it, do you remember, you mentioned that the power plane was a new tool, but are there other differences maybe between like the tools you were using or the materials that you were putting together that, Now you're kind of like, oh, I'm glad I don't have to do it
1: Uh, that way anymore. Okay. So a couple things to that. So not only was I introduced to the power plane, but I was introduced to those cardboard furring strips, right? Mm -hmm. When I got up here to Oregon, probably four years after I had done that little bit of pickup work and then started in as a general contractor and I wanted to do some pickup work in an addition, I couldn't find those cardboard strips and it dawned on me that the reason for that is, is that up here in the northwest, where ambient humidity is almost always high, the studs just don't bow as much as they do in the in the southwest in the desert. Mm-hmm. I don't care if it's kiln dried or what. I don't care if it's in the shade. That desert sucks all the moisture out of those boards, and they all there would be a lot of crooked studs in a house. That's a really lot. amazing. Even when the house is sheeted, even when there's walls like butting up to yep. each other, yep. individual studs would just crawl out they would crawl they would twist they would crack just huge bows and lots of of twisting because the framers weren't sorting the the studs for heart centers or anything they just put them in as they came and they would crown them but that desert just it's it's a completely different world down there than up here for the stability of the wood before you get it behind the drywall well and especially when the sun's on it oh man because that alone would just i would imagine torch lumber it torches it um I cut out, I had some stairs in a tract, and it seems like there was like a dozen sets of stairs or 13 sets of stairs. And I knew that the framers were consistent, all the dimensions were consistent, and so I cut out all the stringers for a dozen sets of stairs at once, two by 12s. Cut, 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 cut. And then it took me a couple days, and I could go around and just assemble them, Mm -hmm. and I made money. But I cut out all these stringers, and I had them stacked up on sawhorses out in the blazing sun. And there was a quiet moment, and I realized... I can hear those stringers cracking i could hear the i could hear those Mm -hmm. triangular shaped pieces wow just the sun is death on two by 12 stair stringers down there you almost can't get them in place and put together before they're going to want to just pull apart especially if there's a heart in there did
0: some of those not fit quite right at the end of the install it was like the last set. You know? Well,
1: it, there were plenty of them that I had to glue and screw or I was probably nailing. I just uh-huh. had the nail gun. I had to have a, a bead of liquid nail, squirt it on there, bam, bam, toenail it back in and then get it covered up yeah. so that the risers and the treads would hold it together. Lots of those corner projections on the stairs broke off as I was putting those stairs together. Oh, yeah. And I just had to reassemble as I went.
0: And is it a lower quality lumber separate from the what the weather does to it that, that gets shipped down to places like that? Or is it all kind of the same thing, just rolls out of the mill and you, you get a good unit, you get a good unit?
1: Um, I, think, I think yes to both questions. Those, those framing contractors shop price relentlessly. I mean, the margin on lumber is a big part of their money, Mm -hmm. and so if they find a deal with some sort of a lumber wholesaler, the lumber wholesaler is just funneling lumber to them, Mm -hmm. and so there's no chance to sort through the stacks and get the better boards. I know Gerritsen's here in Roseburg has historically just carried pretty nice lumber. You you guys have seen that probably in in our videos, that the lumber's pretty good, better than what I was used to nailing up down there, but... You see the logos of the same sawmills down there that you see up here. Roseburg Lumber, Seneca, all the rest. I mean, yeah. it's coming out of the same operations, but it's there's less ability to sort. And someone had asked me, a friend like is is if lumber is
0: a lot cheaper around here because it, some of it's like made right here in town and i kind of had to say i, I don't think so no it's really not because i think a lot of times even if it that plywood's made at roseburg lumber it probably still goes to portland to that's right it, and then gets shipped down here and set back in the store in a fork with a forklift and so i, I don't think it really is i think it's uh
1: so the same so, so you're selection. Right. In fact, probably you can get lumber cheaper at Lowe's and Home Depot than anywhere else because they have this muscle for buying. I yeah. mean, they have this huge muscle for buying. But the exception to that, and and so you know I love Garretson's. They're a great business. The exception to that is in the higher quality boards because Eric Garrettson had developed relationships with the local sawmills, mm. and he can get the nice boards, the premier stuff. Units of those are usually, even though Garrettson's has changed hands now, they still have access to the premier sort of uh, forest products for less money than you could get them from a specialty house if they even exist Mm -hmm. wherever your city is, right? So there is that advantage. Mm -hmm. But in the studs and in the plate stock and in the sheet goods, no, it's just just sort of standard pricing.
0: In terms of quality, separate from materials, but the incentive for a framer who's hustling is to get the job done and hide things so they can get paid, and that's part of where you know the reputation of a mm-hmm. of a shoddy sort of butcher butcher work you know style high production thing comes from but but what's that really like because like you said you know someone's coming after to check the work you know for example the layout guy he's going to have everybody on his case and so how strong is that incentive to just kind of do a sloppy job or does everybody sort of actually kind of rise to you know Workmanlike manner, and according to standard practice, in a way that makes sense? or is there is there a big discrepancy between individual people and how
1: they do um, for each of these tasks? So there is a discrepancy. But at the end of the day, it's the system that that determines the strength of the house, the thickness of the sheeting, the centers on your nailing, whether the hold downs are in place, whether the anchor bolts are under the concrete. So as far as the strength of the structure, It's, it's sixes Mm -hmm. as far as straightness, straightness and fit up on siding and fascia boards and that sort and, and square plumb and true square, not so much because, because the layout guy is going to have squared it up as much as he can on the slab. Okay. So let's get back to this, but let me just throw out there that there was one time I got involved with a slab that had been poured and I was working for MS Concrete, and we had poured a slab, a different crew, that was one foot out of square. A foot. <laughs> Whoops. And the framers ran into that, and they said, we don't care. And they so the layout man and everybody ran that out of square wall right out into space. Wow. It was hanging in space off of the 12-inch out of square slab. And so the slab had to be torn out, out from under the wall, and then poured back to comply with what the plans had obligated the house to be. Mm-hmm. So there is that, right? Yeah. Uh, so. So, it's yes and no. Straight, nice fit, that sort of thing depends on the guy on the saw and the guy Mm -hmm. who's plumbing and lining the walls. But in general, uh, inspection and standardized material are usually going to hit a certain minimum quality. Yeah. And it could be
0: like a lower tier uh, development might use just really cheap siding. You know, that's kind of like, wow, this whole track looks terrible. And it's because of this terrible sighting yeah you know so there could be specifics or for example i know one tract in arizona that i bought a couple houses in that i know every house in the neighborhood had major foundation issues and someone later told me that they just the developer he knew the guy just didn't believe in wetting the soil or
1: compaction compacting didn't it. understand went, it something it like that it. and yeah. it
0: happened to also be in a part of town where there's a lot of motion and there were i mean like the houses that I a couple of my past on, but there was gaps in drywall two inches, you know, and just uh, huge like 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 seismic shifts in in um, yeah. parts of the house that are not acceptable on any <laughs> on anybody's. And so that judgment. wasn't
1: that wasn't the concrete man's fault. That wasn't right. the concrete man's fault, but it was fault. It was fault. a system fault. It was a system. It was a fault, fault of the
0: system. Like yeah. in our system, we don't rent that. Or we don't own one of those compactors therefore it'll be fine or whatever right. the system was it, it, yeah. it
1: failed right then right yeah so so so, your original question was is a standardized uh, building code and an inspection regime enough to guarantee standard quality uh, sometimes and yeah. is a lousy workman enough to guarantee poor quality sometimes but it's it's not a one-size-fits-all problem or solution
0: yeah you're more likely i think to get have trouble on a one-off you know mm. one agreement with one contractor yeah who can really burn you yeah as, as opposed to it's it's like spreading out risk if there's 25 tradesmen who touched the house and and worked on it even if one or two of them like the concrete guys on mm-hmm. that one did a bad job that can be put back together but yeah uh, but
1: mm. and to continue to belabor this um so the quality the the, the um the re- the reputation of the builder too many times depends on the quality of his painter right mm. because a painter can cover up a multitude of sins mm. and if you don't see the sin you don't know that the problem's there mm. i mean a little putty little paint makes a builder what he ain't there's truth to that yeah. and it's it's sad but a custom builder who's got a quality crew you know putty's optional Caulking is handy if you need it, but you don't need it most of the time. Mm. But in those tracks and that sort of thing, if you've got a really great painter, people will walk around that house for years and not know how badly, you know, some of the blocking and some of the, some of those fit ups are. And so they'll know, ha- have no reason to suspect what's under the skin either. Mm. And so I, I don't know, it's, it, you can put lipstick on a pig and you can cover up anything, but you shouldn't have to. Yeah, much. I bought a house, and
0: maybe you'll remember this in Arizona that where the the trusses were the the first truss on the edge of the house was probably
1: oh, I don't man. know maybe six inches uh, the gable end truss yeah had been put in and the roof sheathing was nailed down with that thing and, way out and of the plumb. house
0: looked great everything was great but when I saw that out of corner of my eye and looked at it I had just this really sick feeling it was a flip and I couldn't tell if the roof was coming off or right. if. I just if if that had just happened like yesterday, you know, when I was gone, it was an earthquake that nobody reported. Right, and and what you said, which is was kind of the first time I it had occurred to me, was now it's obvious. But like, no, that was just some framer who, some stacker who screwed up and didn't correct his mistake, and everybody just built around it. Working, and the house is fine. Of course, it's not. That's not gonna. That roof's not coming off just That's because right. of that one truss. Yeah, that,
1: that that gable end wall is doing what it has to do, and that mm-hmm. gable end truss is doing what it has to do, and there's an overspan of the roof sheeting, but looks like it's holding up, and the water runs off, and so it's yeah. a house. But, man, I remember that was that was uh, a deal. Yeah. Let's finish up talking about our spec house
0: and a couple of the areas in pickup that maybe we didn't um, go into enough detail on in the video. And for you viewers, you'll you'll get this, but sometimes we're limited by the footage we have, and if we didn't happen to film something quite right where we, it's harder to talk about it, but let's do that now. So are there any parts of the pickup on that house that you were kind yeah. of paying attention to that maybe didn't get brought up properly in our episode?
1: Yeah. In fact, it's interesting w- when we were putting the voiceover on, on what was pretty much the final, one of the final drafts on that, you, you may have seen me in there with my power plane, planing down the side of the micro lamb, the, that's in the floor system between the downstairs and the upstairs where the stairway goes up. I had to plane that down in one spot, like a lot. And the reason for that is, is that even though I took a fair amount of time trying to line up that stairwell, because I knew this was going to be coming where an upstairs wall sits on an opening on a, in a floor system that then is picked up and transferred down to the floor by the downstairs walls. I mean, I mean, Platform framing is you build a platform and put walls on it and put another platform on it and put walls on it. You can go up like that, like three or four stories before structurally it runs out of steam. But every time you have a transition between a set of walls on one deck through a platform or a floor to another set of walls on another deck, there's a chance for those not to be straight. Mm-hmm. Okay, And the fact is they're almost never straight. You almost never get a nice plane from the very top all the way down through that opening to the bottom. And sure enough, even though, I mean, we worked at it, but sure enough, it was out. And there is nothing, well, there's a couple things equally appalling, but I hate walking down a set of stairs and noticing that the rim joist, that the, the, the joist in that floor system is not in line with the walls. You can always see the drywall Mm. come down to a point and then back in or dive back in and come back out if the Mm. drywaller didn't get it flat. It's just Mm. you can't mistake it. Mm. The only other thing that is that is as ugly as that is a header that is under-designed and has sagged. So you've got a garage header or over a big window or something. Not at our house. Not at our house. Not No, we've got none of that. The headers are all... Overkill, like yeah. probably thirty percent. I wasn't taking any chances on this, but I hate a header that sags. We don't have them. There, there's crown in the headers when we put them in, the, and the crown's probably still there. And There's no way to in, in pickup to fix that. No, you, you can't. You can't fix that in pickup. Yeah, you know, at least not and keep the job moving along. It's it's much more than pickup at that point. It's remodeling. It's it's yeah. renovating. Hmm. But but just the whole thing about about keeping walls flat in a clear story situation. That that is where. You know, from an elevation up high all the way down. If you haven't balloon framed that wall so the studs are one piece from the bottom to the top, you better spend some extra time lining them up where they come across the platform.
0: Um why is it that there's no pickup phase on the exterior of the house before the siding goes on? Is that because that the the siding and the sheeting
1: just kind of take care of any discrepancy? Good question. Good question. And the fact is sometimes there is. Um so Nathan and what were our friends' names? Uh, for Jim. Jim. Kenny. Kenny and and Nathan mm-hmm. had just come from working for a, a, local, a local disaster builder who, and I'm not going to say their name, but they had tied up. They had hundreds of houses going in Oregon, and then they collapsed into bankruptcy. And those three guys had been putting siding on for them when they were rolling high, and then they started diving off the edge of the cliff. And they had horror stories about, you know— rim joist sticking out of the plane an inch or two and they couldn't just side over it they had to dig in and tear it back and mm-hmm. and just just big big problems yeah. that but the pickup to reestablish straight on the outside of a house it's sheeted and nailed is a huge problem so sometimes yeah sometimes there is that but there you, wasn't you, on you probably house. have
0: a little more discrepancy enough to yeah to make it okay if you don't have to put an eight foot level across but if you're That's past right. an inch on a rim joist that, <laughs> you
1: can see it with your naked eye. You don't need a level to tell yeah, you it's Yeah, that's wrong. right. You know, it, it, the drywall, if it's not within an eighth of an inch of being flat, you're always going to see it. Yeah. But with beveled siding on the outside, just the texture of the siding and being broken up by the window trim projecting out and the ins and outs of the house will cover a much greater de- standard deviation than, than on mm. the inside. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, that's great.
0: Well, um, any last comments on the pickup on our house? Maybe just to let the viewers know now that that's done. Oh, you know what we, what we didn't mention also in the video was the inspection because that, that should be mentioned, and yeah. maybe we'll do that separate, but that kind of happened around the same time. Do you want to just explain to everybody that what that inspection was all about? There was kind of
1: several. Yeah, there was the, the inspections. And let's see if I can spit this out right. So you have mechanical inspections and a framing inspection. The first portion of the framing inspection happened way back when when the shear nailing was inspected to make sure that the nailing that was specified by Dave Thomas, our structural engineer, was complied with before we put the the building wrap on. So that was the first one. Around here, there is not a roof nailing inspection, although there is in other places. So the framing inspection on the inside was just about compliance on additional hold downs and... uh, just sort of general compliance with the plans, that sort of thing. And it was very obvious. I mean, it was very obvious that everything was in place. But before he signs off the framing inspection, the plumbing, the rough plumbing, the electrical, and the HVAC have to also be signed off. Because once the framing is signed off and, those, and um, predicated on the signing off of those mechanical systems, it's time to cover it up. And so they kind of hang on to that ace in the hole. They won't sign the frame until the mechanical systems are a OK. Mm-hmm. And I think the only remedial work we had some nail plates to put on electrical and plumbing. Um, I think that was, I think that was it. Everybody, everybody nailed. Oh, I think we had a couple of holes that were a little close to the edge of it, but that was just a nail plate. So yeah, the the inspections went almost seamlessly. The inspector. Suggested I put some A35s holding down um, the rafters to the plates, but then I pointed for uplift resistance to uplift, not to slide. But then I pointed out that the sh- exterior sheathing had gone up over the blocking in between the trusses and had been nailed off on four inch centers, which took care of the resistance to uplift. Mm. And so I'm sure there's been
0: some it. heartbroken kind of. Not DIY, but if you're you're building your own house and you're framing it and doing a beautiful job, and then months go by while you're doing all the other systems, and then that guy comes and, and frames and inspects your framing and could point out something that's kind of like, "Oops, oops, wish I would have known that yeah. yesterday." Yeah, and I could big time. It's just kind of surprising, you know that framing that w- was inspected was done a year, in our case a year, but that's not the point. The point is quite a while ago. Yeah. And, uh, that's the first time that he was looking at the roof system in that way, yeah. which if there was something really major, that's right. uh, then now, now it's, now we got a
1: real problem. You're doing yeah. it all from the inside. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that was a partial explanation for the anxiety around all of this, you know, and I almost called for a courtesy inspection because our roof system was very non-typical mm-hmm. and, but, Dave did a good job engineering, and
0: we yeah. followed the plan. And yeah, you and courtesy inspections, like you mentioned, that's a thing. You, these building departments are, they really are on your team in that way. They they don't want the project failing because yeah. it's it's not good for them either. So, yeah. courtesy inspections, getting an inspector on the phone, asking questions, going and looking at it with the, a person, in, an engineer in the thing. Those things are all they happen all the time. So yeah, you're they, not totally on your own. You're not.
1: At least around here. Yeah, and and yes, sometimes in general the requirements seem excessive, but when you're working with an inspector who's just making a living, doing his job, um, meeting the expectations of his employer, and if you treat him like a human being, a courtesy inspection is a plus. I mean, it's a tool yeah. in the toolbox.
0: You know. Yeah, that's right. And and these days in age, in, uh, in this day and age, the ability to look at the building code is is a kind of a skill of its own. And you can find the building code. And you, most of you, I'm sure, know this, but it just takes practice. But I think it's a good idea for anybody, whether you're a professional or just a DIY, just learn how to get into the code yourself yeah, and get advice. it out of the horse's mouth and know where it is. And and just that, it's like going to Google, kind of. You can find the information you need if you kind of practice how to get it. So that, that knowing the code is not some... Mysterious information that only super pro contractors and inspectors have access to. You you can look at the code yourself, and it's written in pretty plain English. Pretty plain English. In case you're not following our series, um, you know, every episode, it's taken us a year just because we're making the video series. That's not normal, right? No.
1: Yeah, it's taken us years to get yeah. to this point, and it is not normal at all. Uh, a, a normal course of construction for this house on that lot not counting the site work you know probably would have been start to finish a year probably a year would have again and it's because it's kind of a tricky house and tough access but simpler houses with with normal roof systems and that sort of thing can easily be knocked out in three four five six months start to finish yeah but not this one for a lot of reasons and a lot of the reasons are, the fact that we are engaged in a social media event well that just wasn't
0: the point because that's right. we, we very easily could have got it done much quicker but we took strategic breaks so we could digest footage we kind of held contractors off so that we didn't have time. overlapping trades so we could kind of point the cameras yeah we we have purposely um had been dragging our feet and and so don't think that the 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 timing is relevant to to your project in no. that way and i actually mentioned um are the rs on that lot specify even that like no construction project should take longer than like what was it 10 if, months or 12 yeah, months or something or like that something. we blew that out of the water whoops yeah <laughs> so th- those that can be building code as well in fact we probably had to renew our permit oh well, no we've had regular inspections but yeah. if you don't have Regular inspections, if you're not moving forward, your permit can expire, and yeah. you can be really kind of left out in the cold. So w- luckily, we're, we're chipping away at it. But
1: When I started talking to Phil, my friend Phil Rokas, the plumber, what a guy. When I started talking to him, he said, look, man, he said, uh, I'm not very fast at this primarily because he's pulled off on service calls. He's a one-man band. I mean, he's it. And a big part of Douglas County relies on him to solve their tricky plumbing problems. And so we knew going into the deal that Phil was only going to be able to be there when Phil could be there. And frankly, it was a relief to kind of slow the project down while the plumbing happened because there were a lot of other things that we had sort of neglected that had to be taken care of. And it gave us time to do that. Yeah, we're also fortunate, not to make this all about us, but I'm assuming at
0: this point, if you're listening, you you are watching our series, but we're fortunate to not have a bank uh, financing involved. Yeah. And financing can introduce a whole set of pressure that we haven't experienced when you're making on this project, right? When, on this project, when you're making payments on a property that is that you can't sell yet yeah. or you can't rent out yet, there there's a lot of
1: incentive yeah. to hustle when there's a bank or a lender involved. Yeah. A construction loan, typically, in my experience, they don't want to write them for more than about nine months. Because a construction loan is the scariest loan that a bank ever writes because it's not collateralized by anything. A house that does not yet have a final inspection and a certificate of occupancy really doesn't have any value. And so the bank has been loaning money to get something built that's only marketable once it's built, and they don't want that to stretch on and on and on. and so Yeah, and it doesn't make them feel
0: better to say, well, look, we're making slow progress because things change. You know, the market changes and interest rates change and yeah. That's not, they're not interested in that. They're interested
1: in getting the project yeah, and, done. And an unfinished house is a deteriorating asset. You yeah. know, it can physically go downhill if it's not done and secure and weather tight. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we
0: said that that was the last framing video, and it will be, although it's looking like we're going to have a sort of a junk drawer kind of miscellaneous uh, framing video. There's been a few little tasks that, that ha, never found a home, like making crawl space or, uh, <laughs> sorry, attic access and a few other odds and ends so we, we may um yeah. keep dragging this out more but we'll try to <laughs> we'll try to keep them quick and to the point as usual and if you have questions you can put them in the comments below thanks everybody
1: for tuning in do you have any parting words on pickup for our listeners Nope, i'm just glad that the dry, let me tell you the drywall's on it and i am looking forward to introducing you guys to darren sutton he's done a fine job on the drywall
0: yeah can't wait to share that with you all have a great week everyone and we'll catch you next time see ya